Today, we have part B of my incredible interview with Dave Seymour. I can't wait for you to hear the rest of his story. And without further ado, here's Dave Seymour. Check this out. I'm sitting in a firehouse one night. It's early in my career, right? The guys are making fun of me because, you know, I'm on a different mental journey now rather than watching the Pats or cooking in a firehouse or doing what we did on our downtime. I was watching The Secret. I read the book and I started following the teachings of Jack Canfield. And oh. Jack Canfield is the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, right? So I'm doing the affirmation and sending it out to the universe. And if you believe you can achieve, and I'm like, hallelujah, brother, I'm in, I'm there, right? I'm at the, I'm at the altar. I'm there, baby. So I throw it out there. I said, one day I'm going to meet Jack Canfield. And I threw it out there. And I flew across the country and I did a one-day training at Jack Canfield's house. And it was momentous for me. Um, it allowed me to, you know, really grow my network as a result of that. And it's funny, last week, Jack and I, you know, touch gloves. He said, what do you got going on? I said, what do you got going on? And he said, it's crazy. I can't go out and speak anymore like I used to and teach nationally, internationally. He said, I'm doing a lot of uh, recordings of experts. He said, and we interview, you know, talk about the teachings of Jack Canfield and, you know, what you got going on in your business and how it's, you know, affected your life, et cetera. So it's stuff like that. Right. It's like knowing that I have that reserve today to fall back on those reserves of people who can, you know, help. And in return, I help them. Right. It's the law of reciprocity. I do for you. You do for me. It's good business. Oh, how are you doing? Let's go do good business. You know? All right. So look, let's, let's put some gas on this story. So I'm flipping houses and I'm doing business in 2007, eight and nine. And, you know, I don't know if you remember what it was like then. You were a teenager or early 20s, whatever you were back then. But you're a teenager, man. You know, people would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a real estate investor. And they go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. That must be bad, huh? And I'm like, no, it's great. Like, I've got positivity about every situation that I'm in. You know, I do a wholesale transaction. I make five grand. I do another transaction. I make 10 grand. And I'm like, this feels like robbery. Like I'm making these checks from these attorney's offices. I'm waiting for the five O to roll up, you know, I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for the link cops. Like, all right, Seymour, get in the car, you know? <laughs> and um, I just kept moving forward. I just kept moving forward no matter what. And one of the people that I had learned real estate from, they said to me, you know, Dave, you're actually doing it. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, there were a lot of classmates that invested in themselves but you're actually doing the business. I remember that day thinking to myself, isn't everybody doing it once they bought accountability? And it wasn't the case. Like I had other attributes or other internal DNA mechanisms, whatever you want to call it, that, that pushed me forward. And I think that's important just because it looks cool on HGTV or you're sitting in a beautiful rehabbed condo conversion in Rosendale, right? <laughs> just because that looks great, it doesn't mean it's your passion. Right. What people don't realize is all the work and effort and bullshit that you had to go through, right? To get that beautiful finished product. Oh, yeah. And I think if you aren't passionate about something, it can be challenging. So, look, I'm doing deals. I'm doing business. They said, you should teach. I'm like, are you out of your trees? I'm only like two years out of losing my house that I just managed to say. What do you mean teach? I said, teach it. You got a good story. And I became a teacher. And I was traveling around the country and I was, you know, 
teaching the processes of the experts that I had learned from until I could really claim myself to be an expert. And uh, people resonated with me. I, I found a connection with a lot of people and that people knew when Dave was in the room. I found a calling. I found a place where that God-given thing that they gave me, you know, the big man upstairs said, I'm going to give this to you, D. Don't abuse it. Use it. You know what I mean? I think I was more in the world of personal development than I was of, of real estate. I honestly believe that today, Pam. I think I was given the ability to stand in truth, which a lot of those people on those stages do not do. Yep. Right? I was allowed to tell my story from a place of vulnerability and be okay with it. You know, I'm sober over 30 years. I share that in seminar worlds. And it's like, you know, when I was 23 years old, it wasn't pretty. I'm now 53 years old. I'm not as pretty as I was at 23, but my life's a lot better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Somebody in the seminar said that uh, New York was looking for a new TV show. And I'm like, okay, I should apply for that. That would be fun. You know, I've, I've came down to shoot a little pilot and, you know, they picked up the show. And then it was off and running. Then I'm on Today's Show and Squawk Box and CNN and NBC. And, and I'm the guy now. I'm the cheese, man. I'm the big dog, right? You're the underdog. The show's the underdog. I went from underdog to big dog. Oof. Top dog. Who let the dogs out? Oof. And uh, it was a blessing and a curse. It took up a, a huge amount of time. But, you know, it, it just expanded my network again. It's interesting, right? There's the theme underneath, network, right. who you surround yourself with. And four seasons, 29 episodes. The partnership was good, but it did run its course. My partner, Pete, and I decided it was time to go our own way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we did that. He's doing great things. I'm doing great things. We touch gloves occasionally. I've always been a, an educator. I've represented other education, collegiate type real estate education programs. I found that to be rewarding. I like watching somebody you know, come to a, on a Friday, knowing that they're there for three days and watching them gradually wake up like I did, watching them change, watching them go from slouching and, and arms crossed and grumpy to opening up and looking at possibilities. And I take pride in it. I say, yeah, I was able to help them make that transition. A lot of people come there, you know, and even people with money are hurting financially because they don't know what to do with it. It's been an interesting journey to say the least. That's an amazing one though, Dave. Look at you, all these exciting, amazing things that I adore. And you know, and the thing is like, you're so diversified in it too, which is really, yeah. it's like you're paramedic, firefighter. And it's like, you've got this fearlessness to you, which is amazing. You know, it's like, you're not afraid to just say, yeah, let's roll. Let's, let's do it. We got this. Keep rolling. Here's what I learned though. All of that stuff I never did on my own. It was never long. You know, again, you're sitting in that beautiful home. I'm taking a guess that you didn't paint that wall, right? It's, it's team process. And that was what was great about the fire department was it, it set a foundation. And now if we move forward, you know, like 10 years to where I am today, my team is as powerful as was my engine company. It's just that our mission is different today. You know, the engine company, we worked in unison. We, we drilled. We knew what everybody else's roles and responsibility were. There was one guy who rode up front. That was the lieutenant or the captain. And then there was a, you know, a, a guy who ran the pump, a guy who went in the building. Like We all knew what we were supposed to do. That camaraderie is what we have today in our current business model. You know, Post-COVID, it's not even post-COVID. We're, we're like in COVID. You know, watching what the market's doing now, 
the things that scare us and the things that excite us, you know, putting that team together so that we can execute on, and I mean this sincerely to anybody and everybody who listens to your podcast, Pam, the opportunities that are created out of the chaos of, of COVID, we won't see it for a century at least, right? Here's what happened was, as COVID hit the real estate marketplace, I was affiliated with some hard money lending. I had uh, created a, a branch office for some guys that I knew out in um, San Diego. And we had seven loan originators working directly under myself and a couple of other guys. And $15 million with the loans coming through the pipe, ready to fund flippers, right? Wow. COVID hit and it was out of business in three days. And here's why. Because the business model was set up it's somewhere like 65 or 70% of the hard money lenders for, for single family buy, fix and flip up to four, like 65, 70% of them just get in the way of the money. Like they put themselves between capital and the investor. Yep. And the capital usually is really wall street because they're buying the notes that are created right. by the hard money lending companies. Mm -hmm. And as soon as COVID uh, reared its ugly head, Wall Street said non-QM lending is what it's mean, not non-owner occupied. We have no appetite for that anymore. It's way too risky. We're not buying the notes. So at the moment they did that, they shut down their buy side. Well, everything that was in the pipe, now everybody's scrambling around. And, you know, maybe some of your listeners, you know, got caught up in that in the wow. sense that they expected closings and they didn't happen. So for me, it gave me the insight into something which has been absolutely critical for us today is I kind of stepped back for about 24, 48 hours to our point of pivot, right? I'm like, I got to pivot. Right. It's happening, right? I got to pivot. And I just thought to myself, he or she who controls the capital is going to win the race. Yep. It's all about controlling capital now. Mm -hmm. So what capital do I want to control? And what's the best rate of return I can get for that capital? That was the questions that I asked myself. Now, I'm known as the guy from Flipping Boston, right? The TV show, the firefighter, the lunatic, all of those things. <laughs> but my mature side has always been a commercial real estate investor. Mm -hmm. I've always been commercial buy and hold assets, cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. Like I've always done that. So controlling the capital is the name of the game. Reached into my network and partner back up with a very dear friend of mine by the name of Walter Novicki. Walter Novicki is an ex-Army Ranger, Special Forces. He's solid, right? He's on your team. He's on your team. He's got your back, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. And Walter, in the Gulf Coast region of Florida, in the past 15, 20 years of his career, has been what's called a commercial syndicator. Yeah. Now, commercial syndication is, you know, I find a 100-unit apartment complex, Yep. I call Pam. She calls 10 of her friends. We all pull the money together to fund the gap, right? The money down on the deal. Yep. And then we all participate in, you know, quarterly distributions, cash flow, and equity on the back end. Mm -hmm. Now, Walter had done that's onesies, twosies, his syndication, right? Walter has raised about 125 million, deployed 125 million, and then paid back 125 million with a 20% plus rate of return on the capital. That's his track record. So that big piece of the puzzle is now fixed for me. That's awesome. So what's the other piece of the puzzle? The capital. So Walter said, you raise the money. 
I'll raise some money. We'll do everything we can to raise the capital. He said, and instead of just buying one or two at a time, and then he got real aggressive on the call. I loved it. He said, let's buy them all. <laughs> I said, what? He said, let's buy them all. I said, well, hold on a sec. What are you talking about? He said, the opportunities that COVID creates for us in the multifamily arena yeah. we'll never see again. And what he's saying is this, mom and pop commercial investors who own, you know, like a, a 40 unit or a 120 unit or a 10 unit building, they're mom and pops. They're not professional like us. So when they buy the assets, most of the time they buy them wrong in the first place. They pay too much. They don't have the management skills to take this business, which a unit is, yep. massage it to make it more profitable. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to deal with tenants. They don't know marketing. They don't have good deferred maintenance systems. And COVID's putting them out of business. And we're seeing it right now. We're yep. seeing it right now before they even stop not letting tenants pay rent. Right. And he said, we will focus on the 40 to 140s. We'll let Wall Street and the big boys and all of those other you know, syndicators out there, let them guys all fight over the big apartment complexes and we'll buy all the ones underneath mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, lack of competition. Yep. Two, the infrastructure is already built and the network in Florida is already established. Everybody knows he's the guy to call when you're selling. And then number three, if you think of an apartment complex as a business itself, Warren Buffett looks for underperforming businesses. He buys them. He fires the CEO, the CFO, the EIEIEIO, right? He gets rid of all of those people. He brings in the right people and makes the business more profitable. Well, that's what we do. We do the same thing. So we got two choices, big apartment buildings. Well, those things, you know, it's like the Titanic. Yeah. Small apartment buildings, speed boats, pay my investors fast first, the more often is the concept behind it. That's where we're at today. Uh, we just, um, we finished our Securities and Exchange Commission filings. We are now a registered uh, 506C Regulation D fund, which means that we accept accredited investors, which means the SEC says an accredited investor earns a certain amount of capital. Therefore, they can look at these investments, whereas somebody who doesn't have this kind of income or net worth cannot look at these investments. Uh, we did that purposefully. We want intelligent investors alongside us. And the biggest influx of clients that I have is doctors. It's doctors, lawyers, business owners, other real estate investors, Pam, actually. It's funny. You know, the guys and girls who have been doing those condo conversions in Boston, you know, they're sitting on capital and they're too scared to go buy another condo conversion or they're yeah. too scared to go do new construction. And they're like, they don't have the, the network that we have right? To be able to go out and put that capital to work safely. And we worked that money for six years. And after six years, you know, it's targeted returns of eight to 14% quarterly distributions, and then 20 plus targeted, uh, what's called an internal rate of return. Okay. So people have asked me to do this my whole GD career, wow. the whole time, but I was always distracted. I was always doing something else. I got a camera up my rear end. I'm doing this. I'm traveling around the world. I'm teaching. I'm Hey, you know, and now it, it's so rewarding to have in-depth, meaningful conversations with people who, whose retirement's been brutalized by the stock market, right? I educate people on self-directing their retirement accounts. And they're like, what the hell does that mean? It means you don't have to pay somebody else, right, to spend your money.
you decide what you like to spend and invest on. Let me show you what we have. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. So they start directing their own retirements and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know I could get these kinds of returns. Well, nobody told you because they make money if they don't tell you, right? That's the system. It's set up that way. So it's just exciting to have those good, you know, meaningful conversations with people and, and be able to help them. Now, do I make money? You bet your ass I do. You know what? It's taken me 12 years, taken my partner over 25 years. And my third partner, our operations officer, Eric, stole him right out of, um, out of Fidelity. He was coding for Fidelity to predict the markets. The guy's like off the charts, genius, smart. Give him a computer and he makes it purr. So, you know, that's, that's why we get paid. We get paid to protect uh, principal at all costs, right? Hedge against the downside because of the way we buy, where we buy, cost segregation, yeah. offering the maximum depreciation of tax advantages. Yeah. And then we accelerate the upside because we got the infrastructure and the verticals to get the right property management team in, which we, we have. And then the construction, the, the deferred maintenance. I'm excited about real estate, you know, so conversions and, and flips and those things. They're great. They're great. But, you know, there's a progression to everything in life. Right. And at some point or another, I turned around, I looked at it and I went, all right, so I can make 40, 50 on that, 60, maybe 100. That's great. I've done that already. What else can I do? You know, you know, I've liquidated my holdings up in Maine, got in a cash strong position. You know, we're rocking and rolling. It's an exciting time at Freedom Venture Investments, young lady, for sure. I love it. I love it. And I think it's fascinating, too, that you're focusing on the 40 to 150 because yeah. I'm a commercial real estate broker as well. So I just sold 80 units back in December in commercial buildings in Cambridge. And it was like, everyone wants everything 50 plus units or like uh, now they want like 150 plus and that's it. And I'm like, yeah, but what about everything below? Right. Those are great opportunities too. Like you said, the mom and pops, they're not going to own 150 plus unit buildings. They're not going to do that. You know, they're going to have the 30, you know, they're going to have the 50, they're going to have the 60, you know, different things yeah. like that. Yeah. I think yeah. it's fascinating that that's where you're focusing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just proven to be the best way to pay investors. Right. And right now we're not buying in New England, but this is a great call because we will be mm-hmm. Q late Q2, early Q3. Yep. Next year. Yeah. Because those compressed cap rates that we've been dragging our rear ends through, right? In New England and New York uh, are going to loosen up and those opportunities will be there. So I'll buy it all in fund one, which is a hundred million, right? That's that fund is a hundred million. 100,000 minimum investment to buy um, units in the company. Yeah. Um, that's fun one. Fun two, I'm going to be buying my own backyard again. So we'll have, <laughs> the holding, we'll have the holdings in Florida and then we'll have the holdings. Those are the strategies. We're already building the framework for fun two, which will be a $250 million fund. Listen to me, right? You know, 12 years ago, I'm sitting in the recliner in the firehouse praying that the phone rings so I get an overtime 200 bucks. Wow. Think about that. That's the God's honest truth. That's what I used to do, praying to get 200 bucks, which would cost me another 14 hours of my life away from my family. Wow. And now 12, 14 years later, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I've got a conversation tonight at five o'clock. We're bringing a couple in with their retirement accounts. I make a contribution anywhere between 150, maybe 200,000 from their retirement accounts. I'll help facilitate that forum with my self-directed retirement account connections out in Cali. My boy Greg will take great care of them. It's just a 
you know, sometimes I got to pinch myself, you know what I mean? To turn around and look at it, but forward motion, baby. It's all about forward motion, no lateral and dear Lord, never going backwards at any and all costs, you know? Amen to that. Amen to that. And now I have a question for you. Yes. Because you just sort of went back to where you were, right? Yeah. Yeah. What would your older self tell your younger self? Start sooner. You know, I don't have any regrets. I don't. I'm in a blessed position today. I had a chance at 24 or 25 years old, I think it was. I remember I was exposed to some kind of seminar thing. And I thought to myself, that sounds like it could work. It was doing like government housing or something like that. And I didn't stay the course. I didn't have enough accountability. If I'd have embarked upon that journey at 24 or 25, instead of waiting until I was 38, 39 years old, I just wonder what that could have been like. However, I wouldn't have met my wife, Mary Beth. I wouldn't have my 10-year-old boy, Jefferson. I probably wouldn't have my eight-year-old boy, Bennett. You know what I mean? So everything for a reason. But definitely people, for some reason, they just, they're just complacent, right? Complacent, it's the, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow, right? I'll, I'll fix it. I'll lose weight tomorrow. I'll, I'll start eating better or working out or making more money or I'm going to get a girlfriend tomorrow. I'm going to get a boyfriend tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow, you know? And tomorrow doesn't come, you know, it just doesn't come. You know, the opportunities are in front of us. Somebody said to me one time, like, I think back to the negativity and somebody had said, you know, Seymour, you'll never make it. You're a construction guy. You're a firefighter, right? You're never going to make it. You're going to work in a pizza shop your whole life. What are you talking about? Right? Just know your place, right? It was that kind of mentality. And then when you make some changes, they go, I always knew he was lucky. There's a, a Chinese proverb, I believe, and it says something along the lines of uh, the definition of luck is when opportunity meets preparedness, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you prepared for the opportunity that's in front of you? So I wasn't prepared at 25, but you bet your sweet ass I'm prepared at 53. You know, my toolbox is, is overflowing with skills today. And I just keep on putting tools in the toolbox and, and building and helping other people along the way. So. Yeah. Underdog story, baby. <laughs> Underdog. Oh my goodness. All right. Last question for you. So what piece of advice would you give to listeners who are maybe just starting out or anything from your journey that you think would help? That's always a great question. And I, I kind of answered it, not intending to answer it earlier on in the call. Yeah. Find out what you're good at. Yeah. Be honest with yourself and find out what you're passionate about and then figure out how to bring it to the marketplace. Come with a giving heart, right? Not a taking mindset. And I think that will definitely help in any journey and any accomplishment. Learn how to set goals, learn how to implement them and stay real to thine own self be true, right? right. Stop the bullshit. Stop telling yourself it's going to be okay when you know that it's not, right? Own it. Own right. every freaking minute you're awake. Because if you don't, you know, it's whose fault is that? Guy said to me one time, show me who somebody gets their financial advice from, and I'll show you what their financial future looks like. Mm. Amen. Amen. There you go. Regret is worse than fear, my friend. I tell that to everybody. That's like my yeah. number one phrase. The thing that terrifies me is always regret. So sure. like the second that I want to do something, I'm always like, all right, I got to go out there and do it because at least I know I tried. Even if I fall. Are you my bloodline? Are you my sister? I uh, mean, somehow. 
We're in Europe, so we might be close. Well, there might be. I'm sure somebody in one of our clans got to know each other intimately at one point or another many, many hundreds of years ago. I tell you, that is it. It's regret. Yep. Regret is a demon. It's an absolute demon. I ended up on the other side of the country, the other side of the world at 23 years old because I wasn't prepared to, you know, live with regret of what coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? So I'm with you. I love you. I love you too, Dave. You're so awesome. I want to thank you so much for your time today. You are so inspiring, so amazing, and I love your story. I can't wait to see what you do with Freedom Ventures. I think it's going to continue to blow up, and you will be a billion-dollar company soon. I know you will. You're going to have billions of dollars in the funds, and I'm going to be like, Dave, what's up, Billy? How you doing? I'm going to start calling you Billy. Billy, (laughs) Billy. Billy. Yeah, yeah. We'll be working capital for good people for sure. For sure. Awesome. So much. Thank you so much. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.